Hey, thank you guys. That was great. I was lost, but now I'm found. Welcome, everybody. So glad that you've chosen to spend part of your weekend with us here at River Hills Church. For the folks who are in the room, you just need to know that we're also live. And uh, so we're broadcasting to our friends at home uh, through Facebook and YouTube. And we're so glad that they're joining us as well. My name is Dave, and I'm part of the ministry team here at River Hills Church. My family and I have been here for about three years now, and we really love this amazing community. I think you will, too. We're here to help you grow in your relationship with God. That's, that's why we come. And in addition to what we do here on Sunday mornings, many of us are also in small groups uh, where we can get to know one another more personally and, and get to apply God's word to our lives um, as, it, as we are and where we are. If you're new here, we'd really love to connect with you. We've got a bunch of ways to do that. We have a Connect card, and so if you're here in the building and you're new, please fill out a Connect card and put it in one of the joy boxes. If you're at home, you can send an email to new at riverhillschurch.org. And also our Pulse is online. That's our announcements bulletin. And if you go to our website and click on the Pulse, you could see a QR code. And we think that's pretty cool. You can scan the QR code and fill in the form. And I, I promise it won't put the mark of the beast on you to do that, okay? So <laughs> you can do that if you'd like. If you open up that line of communication with us, then we will reach back to you and give you some more details about our church. And hopefully you'll find this is a good fit for you. And we'd love that to happen. If you have any questions, you can talk to anybody with a name tag. And if your questions are really hard, they'll just make something up. There. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or they'll tell you to come see Dennis or I, and we'll be glad to have a talk with you. So God's got something special for us today, and I'm really looking forward to it. I know you are too. Let's bring Dennis up here and see what he has to say. Hey, good morning. And good morning, River Hills, everyone in the room, and good morning, River Hills Online. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning. So, hey, this week, uh, we had a little something happen. If anyone is good at climbing flagpoles, um, we need to get our flag back up on the pole. So if, uh, if anyone's good at doing this, we need a new rope and we need all this stuff put together. So if, if you can help, man, go for it. Now, if you think that's a daunting task to climb up a flagpole, the daunting task for this morning is that we are wrapping up our series called Love This Book. And Love This Book has taken us from last Easter to this Easter, getting an overview of the arc of the story of the Bible. So the book, of course, is this book. And this morning, uh, I have no less of a task. Now, you might say that this might be just poor planning because, you know, with 66 books, you should have been able to figure out how to get this all, all done. But Mind you, we took someone else's Bible reading plan and we've adapted this to our use. But here we are, we just finished the book of Acts, which means that this morning, if I'm going to hit Easter on, on Easter Sunday and we're going to actually do the book of Revelation the Sunday after Easter, that means that this morning I have to go through the books of Romans through Jude. Now, how many of you want to watch basketball? <laughs> no. So the, 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 problem, the problem here, and I, I've been wrestling with this for weeks, is what do you do with this? If I'm going to share with you what the overarching story is of all of what are called the letters of the New Testament, what am I going to do? And this is, 
just, just bear with me today, because what I'm doing is I'm making everything very, very simple. I had a friend who said that when he taught, he liked to put all the cookies on the lowest shelf. And today, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting everything on the lowest shelf so that we can kind of get an overview of uh, what this is all about. And here's my, my dominant theme today. It's simply this. Two words. Say it with me. Faith works. And you can say that in a couple of different ways. You can say, hey, you know what? Faith really does work. Or you can say it in another way, which is faith works. Now, what I'm trying to do today is uh, help you see what this whole thing is about. 27 books in the New Testament, in the, in the second testament of this book. And so far, we have looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of whom? We're going to have to go back to the beginning if you don't get this answer right. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of whom? Jesus. My boy, Jesus. I hope those of you at home, you know, said it a little bit more enthusiastically. Hey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of? Jesus. Jesus, yes. And so, you know, the Father sent, Jesus sent the Son into the world to reveal who he was and to accomplish his purposes. And from the start of this series, we have seen that God wants to be with us. Very first verse of of the Bible. In the beginning, God created God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. That's where it started. God wants to be with us. And so in the New Testament, he reveals himself by being with us in the person of... I want to say this with enthusiasm. In the person of... I guess if I'm going to evoke that from you, I need to show it right? Okay. And then we came to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, we saw, was misnamed the Acts of the Apostles. And really, the book of Acts is God revealing himself to us and empowering us through who inhabits the church? The Holy Spirit. And so the Acts are the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we see how important that was. And so we have those two revelations, if you will, the revelation of Jesus and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And then today we come to the letters or what are also known as the epistles. 22 of these little letters in the, uh, in the New Testament. And this is the way that I want you to see these these letters. This is the attempt. Hey, hey, Hank, I think you got a phone call. Maybe it's your wife saying, you know, tell Dennis to spice it up a little bit this morning. But really, yeah, maybe it's Jesus. These are first century Christ followers. The majority of these, of these letters were written by one person by the name of Paul. But the authors of these letters first century Christ followers trying to show their their people what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's why I'm calling this Faith Works. 
Because what they're trying to do is say, you know what, it looks like this. When you're in this situation to follow Jesus, it looks like this. Now, one of the things I tried to communicate and our reading plan communicated as we went through the book of Acts is that every one of these books can be, can be overlaid on the book of Acts. And so next time you're reading in the book of Acts, be asking yourself, I wonder which letter of Paul, which letter kind of connects with this. So remember when we were talking about the Jerusalem council where they were trying to settle this, this big hairy issue because some people were saying, hey, in order to be a Christ follower, you have to first become a legitimate Jew. And guys, you have to go get circumcised. And the Christians were saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. the Gentile Christians, the ones who had never been this, they were saying, what? I didn't sign up for that. And so they got together and they talked about that. Now, which of these letters talks about that very thing? The book of Galatians. And if you remember in our reading, uh, we had the book of Galatians when we were reading through Acts chapter 15. Every one of these letters shows and, 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 and builds on the questions and the issues that the Christ followers had. What does it look like to follow Christ? Now, here's a theme that we've been, we've been watching throughout the entire series. And that is namely that the Bible was written for us, not to us. Watch this video on the side screens, a River Hills two-minute explainer video. For some, it's sacred scripture. For some, it's a moral guide. And for others, it's simply a collection of stories that gives a glimpse into ancient life. But what ultimately is the Bible? First, it's not actually a book, but rather more like a library, a collection of books composed in a variety of styles for a diverse array of purposes. One finds prose, poetry, and allegory, historical accounts, personal letters, and recitations of laws and guidelines for living. The collected writings making up the Bible were composed across almost two millennia by more than 30 different authors inspired by God. But one thing not often considered is this. To whom was the Bible written first? Who was the original audience? And what were they afraid of? What did they hope for? What questions did they ask? Consider, for example, the story of creation in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. While a more modern audience might want or even expect a fact-based scientific explanation for how all things came to be, the original intended audience, the people of ancient Israel, were more concerned with how their God, Yahweh, compared with the gods of the neighboring Egyptians and the Babylonians. Yet beyond this immediate context, we see the questions of the ancients align with questions we ask today. Do they matter? Do they have purpose? Is God good? In Genesis, God answered their questions in ways and terms they were sure to understand, since it was written first to them. But it was also written for us, answering our deepest questions. Humans matter and have a purpose. We have a special place of honor and responsibility in God's good creation. Understanding the ancient context doesn't diminish the truth. It deepens our understanding. The Bible is not a scientific explanation, but instead the revelation of a good and loving God. Bible is written for us, not 
to us? To whom was the New Testament written? To whom were all these little letters written? I just gave a couple of examples. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. That's the start of the book of Romans. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. That's the start of the book of Corinthians. To all the churches in Galatia. Great. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The book of? You might have guessed if you followed the pattern that it was the book of the 12 tribes, but they changed the naming right there. But uh, in any case, the book of James. How about these? To Timothy, my true son in the faith. First Timothy. To Timothy, my dear son. Second Timothy. To Titus, my true son in the common faith. Who's that written to? James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Who's that written to? It's the book of James written to the 12 tribes. And then here is, uh, maybe this is my favorite. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This is one time where I think the author was, was thinking, you know, maybe this letter is going to go beyond the people to whom I'm, or, I'm originally sending it. It's going to have a life of its own. And that includes us. These letters aren't to us, but they are definitely for us. I want to give you an example now. Book of James. James was probably Jesus' half-brother. And so it's interesting when you read the book of James because when you, when you start reading it, you think, wow, would my brother, would my, would my sibling, would anyone who really knew me, would they talk about me in that way? Would they talk about me as their Lord? But we get to one of the issues in James chapter 2, and James will say this. And this is where I get my title from. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, you got to put yourself in the position not only of the author, but also put yourself in the position when you're trying to understand the New Testament of the people that would have received this letter. Okay? So the question I have for you is, what kinds of questions do you think James might be trying to answer from the people to whom he asked this question? What, what, what might he have been, been getting at? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Well, what would have been the big issue? What would have been the big issue of the early Christ followers? James, this book was written to the was probably the very first book written in the entire New Testament. So what would be some of the things that the very first Christ followers would have been struggling with in the world? What did the Roman government want to make the, the Christians think about what they believed about Jesus? What kinds of disinformation what kinds of fake news were they spreading about Jesus even, even right around the time of Easter? What kind of information? 
that Jesus had not had not risen, right? And so James is addressing an issue of, of faith because it would have been very easy in those days to say a true Christ follower is the one who simply believes that Christ has risen. The end. That's what it means. And James asked this question. Oh, really? Is that all it means? I'd encourage you to check out James chapter 2 because it's a, it's a fascinating read. So he asks that question, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? And here's his response. Well, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Whoa. I heard someone in the room say, hmm, and someone in the room had a nervous laugh. Why? Because that, from the half-brother of Jesus, is a rather unsettling thing for a lot of Christ followers, not just in the years immediately following the first Easter, but even right down to today. Because we want to define our faith in in particular boxes. But remember, all of these, all of these were written to first century Christians and for us to help navigate these issues. And if we're going to, to be sincere Christ followers, we need to, we, we, we need to take everything that God's Holy Spirit inspired men and women of God who wrote these words, we got to take them all seriously and try to figure out how they fit together. Now, what, uh, let me ask you this. Does what James saying ring any bells for you? And let me say this also, alarm bells or otherwise. So, answer me. Those of you at home, go ahead and just say it out loud. Those of you in the room, does what James say ring any bells, alarm bells or otherwise for you? Okay, what? What's, what, what's the biggest bell it rings for you? Anyone else? Okay. Say it again. Confusion about what?
All right? So let's start there. So for those of you at home, one, there are a number of things which were, were said. The questions that were raised were, do I have to do anything? Uh, someone said it brings up confusion. I thought we were saved by, by faith alone. And so you might say, oh, wait a minute. What, you know, what's this all about? Because here is the bedrock of, of faith, Right? This is what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Now, just a pause. So what we're doing here is we're looking at the entire New Testament. We're looking at one topic. And I'm trying to show you how we can balance and, and ask questions of the text to better understand what it means to be a Christ follower. Okay? So Paul says this, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see the conflict? Do you see the tension? So, this is, of course, the verse that we, we already saw this, that Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther who, who lived and taught basically during the 16th century. When he found that verse, and he had been taught, and his understanding was his entire life, that what it meant to be a Christian, and in his case, a Roman Catholic Christian, was to do certain things. And when he read those verses, it was like a bomb went off in his head. In fact, he would come to say of the book of James, which we read from earlier, which basically says this, faith without works is dead. Martin Luther would say, that book shouldn't even be in the Bible. He went and he called it a right straw epistle. I don't know if you saw that straw sitting in the, uh, in the two planters as you walked in the door, getting ready for Easter and the Easter eggs, I guess, you know. But he said it was nothing more than that. The book of James is nothing more than that. He couldn't stand the book of James. You see, he was so taken with Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 that he couldn't, he couldn't stomach it. Now, Luther would come to say some pretty hideous things, um, which we all have to kind of scratch our heads about. But I don't think it's any reason to cancel him. I think we just have to realize that some of the strange things that, that Luther said about different races, and particularly about the Jews. That we need to just kind of chalk that up to his being a broken, messed up guy. But his broken and messed upness, I think, caused him to overlook the context and the bigger picture.
picture of what he was so excited about. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. But then the passage goes on. Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works, which what? God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved. And as a result, we want to represent Jesus in the world and to do his work in the world. And his work in the world is what? Is it good or is it bad? It's good. And so he says, let's go and let's, let's do that. But you see what happens when we don't look at the whole of Scripture. We can develop a tunnel vision, can't we? One of the projects that I have uh, on my list right now, I want to go through all of those letters that you saw earlier, these letters, and I want to take the teachings and I want to overlay them. I, I want to ask of every single thing that I read, where does Jesus say that? What does Jesus say? How, do, how does that overlay with what Jesus says? How were the authors of these books in the New Testament, all of these letters, trying to explain what Jesus said to New Testament, uh, rather to, to first century, to first century Christ followers? You follow me? I think that in itself is kind of an exciting thing. And where does this come from? Where does what James say, says in, in about faith and works come from? Let me read you this and see if it rings any bells for you. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God and he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous on his right hand will ask him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my people, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, and be prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me, some, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. 
I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, there at the bottom, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I can imagine that as Jesus' half-brother James, who during this period in Jesus' life was trying to haul him away and bring him to a mental hospital because he thought he was crazy, I think all of these teachings, all of these things stuck in James' mind. And after the resurrection, when, when Christians were being persecuted for, for believing in the resurrection, when the fake news was, was saying there is no resurrection, there was no resurrection, Jesus was dead and he is gone. Forget about him. And the Christ follower said, this is what it means to be a Christian. And, and you can figure that out, can't you? You can see why they do that. And James says, wait a second. We're so wrapped up in what we think that we're forgetting what Jesus told us to do. Paul comes back and he clarifies it. Because a few years later, then people, people that, 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 he, that Paul was writing to when he said, hey, wait, it's by grace that we're saved. Because some people were saying, no, wait, you know what? you got to prove it to people. And so Paul's like, no, wait a second. It's by grace that you're saved through faith by grace. Not of works. Your works don't save you. But, but... Those works are exactly what he wants you to do because you are his. Do you see the difference? And you see how, how important it is to take all of these various books that, that we've been looking at and to see how faith works and how it works together. Faith submits, faith understands, faith gives, faith speaks. Faith forgives. Faith does all of these things. What's the alternative? Just to talk. I saw this on, uh, someone from River Hills actually posted this on Facebook yesterday. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. Those who proclaim them with their mouths and deny him with their actions is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. So from the book of Revelation, I'm sorry, from the book of Romans, the other R, the other R book, from the book of Romans through the book of Jude, what the authors are trying to do, what the Holy Spirit has 
inspired them to do is to show that faith works. That, that, that faith does work in, in bringing us to trust in him. But it also puts on its gloves and it pulls up its boots and it goes out and it does the things that God wants to accomplish in the world. We are his plan A and there is no plan B and there's nothing like the church when the church gets it right because the church is the hope of the world. But if all the church does is talk, And ultimately, the church is nothing. In just a few weeks, uh, Debbie and I are going to uh, be leading just a short uh, study in the work of a person who grew up under the, the influence of, uh, of Martin Luther. And some of the things that Martin Luther had to say about Jewish people were so heinous that uh, some historians, uh, world historians, and particularly uh, German historians, point to some of his teachings as being uh, foundational to the atrocities that led to the extermination of the Jews. One of the, one of the victims of that errant way of thinking was a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer ended up uh, founding a group of Christ followers not too dissimilar from, from us, and he called it the Confessing Church. And Eric Metaxas, who you may or may not know, uh, controversial in his own right, uh, has put together a, a four-part video series, and I'd like to direct your attention to the side screens. It was April 1943. Downstairs in this home, there's a knock at the door. It was the Gestapo. They came up to this bedroom and arrested the pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Two years later, at Flossenburg concentration camp, he was executed by the Nazis. In my book, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy, I write about the life and theology of this amazing man. And what he lived and wrote about all those years ago has particular relevance for us today. I traveled all over Germany and into Poland uh, to create this video study series. We went first to Tübingen University, where Bonhoeffer first began his studies. We went uh, into Poland to Finkenwalde, where he started the illegal seminary of the Confessing Church. Uh, we spent time here in Berlin at the home where he lived and where he was arrested. And then finally, to Tegel Prison itself, where he was incarcerated. There's something about the life of Bonhoeffer that helps us understand today what it means to be a Christian. In The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer warns us against living a life of what he calls cheap grace. In Letters and Papers from Prison, he exhorts us uh, to live a life of religion-less 
Christianity. He famously says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What did Bonhoeffer mean by that? What does that mean? Join us in this video series to find out and to be called with Bonhoeffer toward a life of true discipleship in Jesus Christ. of you who are at home, uh, check out the Pulse online at riverhillschurch.org. So, the New Testament from Romans through Jude, even into the book of Revelation, which we'll look at this Sunday after Easter, it's all about faith working. But let me say this, faith begins here. Luther was absolutely right. Faith trust begins here it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god don't think that it's because of what you do that somehow you earn god's approval because the life that he has for us he freely gives to us he says will you come jesus said will you come and follow me and if you have never said yes to following christ Everything starts there. And I invite you today, just say yes. For those of you who have said yes to following him years ago, I want to ask you a question. What kinds of things do you believe that God is calling you to do because of your faith? Will you do those? Will you keep your ear peeled for the still small voice of God? Say, Sarah, I want you to do this. Bethany, I want you to do this. Are you listening for his voice? Lord God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the authors of Paul and James and Jude and